And even if you don't have a lot, right, you're here to help. And as long as you have breath in your body, if you can help someone else, you can. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Today, I am pleased to welcome Myron Rivers. He is the CEO of Lurch. He also has dabbled. I shouldn't say just dabbled. He is an expert in consulting as well. He'll get into. Uh, and a fantastic entrepreneur. So welcome, Myron. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. This is awesome. I feel a little. Thank you for being here. I don't know if I'm, you know, equal to the task. I was going through listening to a bunch of the podcasts, and I see some of the people that you've interviewed. And I was like, "Oh, why is she talking to me?" Okay. First of all, if I look at your LinkedIn profile and your history, there's a reason why I'm talking to you, my friend. <laughs> all right. I appreciate that. Okay. So Myron and I actually met at Mad Tree Brewery because Mad Tree uses his product, Lurch. And I met him and I was like, this guy's awesome. I want him on my podcast. But Myron, let's start out with, give us give us some history about you. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Siblings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So um, okay. originally from Texas. Uh, so I grew up in, in Texas, but both of my parents are from Ohio. My parents grew up in, uh, in Dayton. So I have, you know, okay. I do have some Ohio roots. And uh, but um, grew up in Texas. Um, I have one half brother. We're eight years apart. We share the same father, so we never lived in the same house. And we actually only became friends like once we became adults. But um, yeah, but yeah. So that's that's my story. We ended up moving here in '92 when I was in the ninth grade. Okay, wait. So uh, where in Texas? Dallas. Dallas. And you're sort of, you're really an only child. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see how that shows up in, I bet it shows up a lot in work I, and business. I used to think that that didn't matter. You know, you would always hear that, but the older I get, the more I realize that I, that I am definitely an only child. <laughs> All right. And you all moved to Dayton in the ninth grade. So yeah, we moved to Cincinnati. Yeah, we moved to Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Moved to Cincinnati. Yep, my mom okay. and I moved to Cincinnati. Your mom and you? Yep. Did your parents divorce or something and then you move? Or did your They were never married. No, they were never married. Okay. Yeah, they were like high okay. school sweethearts. And my dad was going to school in, in Ohio State. My mom was going to school in Texas. And then, you know, like, like a lot of Life young happens. people in love, it was the 70s and uh, I, I think it was the blizzard of 77 because in September I rolled around. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. You all move here. Yeah, we moved here. My mother and I moved here. Um, and it was just kind of, uh, it's kind of crazy circumstances. She, she had been married, uh, and was in a very abusive, I guess we both were in an abusive relationship with, mm -hmm. uh, with her, with her husband, my stepfather at the time. Uh, he had been very abusive to me for years, but I never, I didn't know that he had ever been abusive to my mother. Um, and so I was actually on spring break and my father lived in Houston. And so I was actually in Houston on spring break 
and my grandmother was visiting, but I was in Houston with my with uh, with visiting my dad and my brother, and uh, apparently he uh, attacked my mom. And with my grandmother being there, she was like, no, nah, we're not doing this. And so they literally packed up in the middle of the night one night while he was gone, uh, drove to Houston, picked me up, and we moved to Cincinnati. Wow. Your dad, did your dad know? No, he didn't know. We weren't very close. And so I didn't really talk to him about almost really anything that had gone on in my life, actually. So um it was my childhood was pretty fraught, right? Like my mom, she was a single mom. Yeah. We moved yeah. a lot. Um, you know, we moved around a lot, but my mom tried to keep me in really good schools. And so, you know, I was expensive and she was doing it all on her own. My father didn't pay any child support or anything. So um she did yeah. it all. Yeah, she was just making her way the best way she could. And so um, you know, but with that, right, like you mentioned the only child thing. Um with that, my mom worked like two jobs, right? And I remember she worked at Texas Commerce Bank in the lockbox. And so some nights, cause she worked third shift there and then she had another job like during the day. So, uh, and then she threw newspapers like in the morning. So yeah. she, yeah. No and so, way. yeah. So I remember, I'm not kidding, being in kindergarten and some mornings like my mom in between like going from job to job, I don't know when she slept, like this is so crazy, but like, she would come home, like I would be at home by myself, like all night. And she would come home. We would get up and uh, like, you don't mail, get ready for school. And it'd be like five o'clock in the morning. And we'd go down to Dallas Chronicle, get the papers and roll them up, band them, put them in bags and stuff. And I would be helping her. And she would drive and she would throw on that side and I would throw on this side. And we would just, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so, so I was doing that like kindergarten through maybe the third grade every morning before school. And then if she had time, she would drop me off to school. But most of the time she didn't have time. So she would have to, you know, we'd go home. I'd get on the bus, go to school, come home. You know, I was a latchkey kid. So, you know, I, there was no, yeah. like, there was no playing outside uh, because my mom wasn't home. Right. So I had to go inside, lock the door, call her. I'm home and just kind of be in the house, which, uh, kind of, I think, you know, all of these things build to build to the person that you become. Right. So with that, I became an, a very avid reader. Right. So my mom always had like a focus on education. And so anytime that I was bored and living in Dallas, especially like you spend a lot of time in the car because it's a big city. So like, especially as a kid, okay. right. You know, as a kid, like 15 minutes in the car seems like a lifetime. Right. And so you're like, mom, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. She's like, yeah, well, if you, she like, you know, if you're going gonna to get bored in the car, grab a book, right? Grab a book. And so that was her answer for everything. Grab a book. And I loved reading, right? So I would just read. I literally would read and listen to records all day and night. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, that's just kind of how I grew up. Myron, so, um, I mean, we don't know each other really, really well. Mm -hmm. But what I do know from you is that you have such a positive, loving, caring energy about you. And it sounds to me like that um, cycle of violence, you stopped, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you not have, how are you not jaded or resentful? 
Was your mom not like? Um, it's hard not to be. And so like given, I mean, that's just the scratch. I mean, it, I, my childhood is filled with a lot of abuse, right? So physical abuse, I was sexually abused uh, by family members, both men and female family members at a very young age, starting at five. And then, um, you know, with the physical abuse from my stepfather, and then, but one of the biggest things for me was um, seeing it all the time, right? So yeah. for whatever reason, while I didn't see it to my mom, like uh, aunts, right? I would have aunts and uncles who like, they, you know, we have a barbecue or a cookout or something. And an aunt and uncle yeah. would get into an argument and next thing you know, he's going upside her head. They're literally knock down, drag out fighting. And then, but growing up, almost every single woman that I know and love in my family um, was touched or affected by um, domestic violence. And um, so one, one, just seeing how uh, men treat women, right, uh, was yeah. really kind of, you know, I, I never wanted to be that, never. And so I kind of grew up resenting and almost hating uh, any man that would do that, right? Because I just didn't, that just didn't really resonate with me. And with the absence of my father, um, my mom's father, although he lived in Dayton, he really took yeah. a very much active role in my life. And he was like, I mean, he was born in 1919, right? So he was, you know, he served in World War II. He was a very much old school kind of guy. I think that he might have had a seventh or eighth grade education, right? But he, you know, he served his country. He raised a family and he was a very much a man's man. And so even though mm -hmm. we spent, you know, I grew up in Texas every summer, like the day after school let out, I would be on a plane and I spent every summer with my grandparents and my cousins here in, or here in Ohio and Dayton. And so yeah, I really got the influence of, a very strong, just not to like archetype, but like a man's man, like an old school man's yeah. man that taught me, like, you know, that taught me that, you know, really, like, if you're going to be a man, there's more to being a man than just calling yourself a man. And if you have to call yourself a man, or if you have to hit, and it wasn't even just about like hitting women, right? He taught me that you don't take advantage of anyone, right? And yeah. That, you know, you're here to help those who have less. And even if you don't have a lot, right, you're here to help. And as long as you have breath in your body, if you can help someone else, you can. And you don't harm people. And so even though my grandfather was very much older, right, than me, um, and yeah. much older than most of my uh, friends' grandparents, I was lucky enough to have him until I was about 30, Um yeah. So, and then my grandmother, she just passed away last summer. So she was 101. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. What? Yeah. She was 100. She lived to be 101. And my grandfather lived to be 88. Wow. Yeah. So I had him a long time. So it was really good having that influence in my life. So when I had difficult things to learn as a man and, you know, things that I may have thought were deficient from my father. Uh, I could always lean on him. And in many ways, I mean, he was, is my father, right? And uh, I, I mourn him. Yeah. I mourn him like he was my father because 
uh, I mean, he, that was, we had such a special relationship and he, outside of my mother, probably influenced me the most. For them, they probably knew, oh yeah, he's going to go to college. He's going to, you know, do, they saw things for you. Yes. No, 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 no. What's hilarious though. And it's, I find it's so funny now looking back and life yeah. is so interesting. Like as a kid, even though I love to read and I love to yes. like digest information. I, now looking back, I think that they would have said that I was on the spectrum. Right. And so, but my learning style wasn't, was just a little bit different. So I always kind of initially struggled in school and my family, like my grandparents, I would go visit them in the summer. And most of my cousins that were my age, they were a year ahead of me in school. And so we would be doing like math work or science work at their grade level. Well, they had already been introduced to a lot of that stuff. I couldn't keep up, but because I couldn't keep up, they just thought I was dumb. Right. And I remember yes. active conversations. This is kind of crazy. My family's going to probably be mad that I'm mentioning this, but like they, I mean, I remember hearing conversations of like, yeah, my, I mean, Myron's not that smart. Right. And I, and the power of words. And again, you asked me how I'm not yeah. jaded about things is because I was the kid that no one thought was smart. Right. And so when you tell someone that they're not smart, they behave that way. Right. Because they believe it. If you believe that you're not smart, you, you begin to act not smartly, right? You, be act, you begin to act stupidly yeah. Yeah. because you have, the, you know, you were told that. And so, um, uh, which actually is another like central theme of my life, never believe the things that you're told, right? Figure out everything for yourself, question everything. I don't care who they are. They, even with love and good intentions, they have intentions, right? And those intentions may have nothing to do with what you want. So figure it out for yourself, right? But um, so I, I started, you know, I just never thought I was smart. And then I think it was the sixth grade. It was some sort of standardized test. And, yeah. I, think, and I think it was the Iowa test of basic skills or something like that. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. And so we had the standardized test and I got like a 99.5 on it. And so they called my mother and told her that I had gotten this crazy score. And she said, that cannot be right. You need to test him again. <laughs> and so they tested me again. And I again got a 99.5. Oh my God. So that's when like everything changed overnight. Right. And so it was, I mean, immediately they yanked me out of the classes that I was in and put me in advanced classes with all these smart kids that have been told their whole life they were smart. And here goes dumb old Myron, just like, I don't even know how to spell periodic, periodic table, let alone what it is. So I don't know what any of you guys are talking about, but I, I like learning. So let's, let's bring it on. Right. And so it was a challenge uh, to get acclimated to that level of academic work. Um, but it was a lot of fun. That is so Cool. That's amazing. All right. So high school hits, you do pretty well. Do you go into the Air Force right out of, like, when do you go into the Air Force? So I went to the Air Force directly out of uh, high school. And so I was, you know, I moved here. It was quite an adjustment. I didn't like Ohio. I was this, you know, standard kid, teenage kid with angst. And so I did a lot of skipping and stuff. 
And so I was planning to go to, I've been accepted to Hartwick College, which is Oneonta, New York. It's some liberal arts college and uh, okay. up in the Catskills. And so um, I was going there and, but I was skipping a lot of school. I was missing a lot of school, just being stupid, right? And so sure, sure. it was graduation day and I was having a huge graduation party. I think the biggest. And then I did not go to graduation rehearsal because I was too cool for that. Had I gone oh to God. graduation rehearsal, I would have found out that I did not pass because I needed a 94 or 96 to pass senior English and I got an 89. And so I didn't pass senior English, which means I had to go to summer school. And oh my goodness. yeah, so I, you know, so my parents, my mom thought I was at graduation rehearsal. I get home. I had gone to breakfast with, with my friends. I think we had gone to big boys or Frishes or something like that. <laughs> and uh, we go to breakfast. I come home and I'm like, yeah, mom. She's like, how was rehearsal? I was like lying, you know, like a liar. I was like, that was great. She's like, hmm. Yeah, so let's sit down and talk. Mm. She's like, don't get comfortable because we're actually going to the school because the principal called and you didn't graduate. So let's go. And we went to the school and this particular teacher did not like me at all. Uh, uh, we never got along. And so mm. my mother was there. We were there and my mom was like, hey, you know, is there anything we can do? Can you retest him? And uh, the principal, Dr. Cease, was like, uh, it's not my call. We can retest them, but I can't, I can't make her retest them. It's up to her. And the teacher right. looked in my mom's face, who was crying, saying, she said, I know Myron. If I retest him, he'll pass. I'm not going to retest him. He's got to go to summer school. And so. No way. Yeah. So I was so, I mean, just sitting there watching my mom beg this lady, right? Beg this lady to retest me because of because I'm an idiot right yeah and so <clears throat> we walked out my mom was upset and she's like the party's off and I was like oh the principal said you can still walk across the stage I was like I'm not doing that um and I just told my mom I would meet her at home and I just was I started like I was walking through Clifton and stuff and I passed a recruiting station and I went in and I talked to all four recruiters. And I was like, I don't think that I'm ready for college. What do you guys have? And <laughs> I talked to all no four. No way. Yeah, I talked to all no four. Way. Yeah, I talked to all four. The Air Force seemed to have the best deal. Um, and I went home and I told my mom, who subsequently called my grandmother, and they signed me up to see a psychiatrist because they thought I was crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But you went. Yeah. You went and you were there for four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went. And uh, yeah, so I went, became a civil engineer, uh, was stationed in Germany, uh, served time in Bosnia uh, and learned a lot. Right. Because, I mean, I was a yeah. young kid and I had seen Texas and Cincinnati and outside of a few family vacations, you know, most U.S. kids of that age, what have you seen? Right. You don't know anything. And so. I got I got sent to Europe, which is where I wanted to go, and I was in Germany, and like everything came. I mean, it was just it, it it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I was every weekend I could, I was going to a different country. I was traveling all over Europe, 
and just learning yeah. about, I mean, like things that I had heard about in school, I was seeing, sure. right? Like I could see Anne Frank's house and I went to Prague and I, you know what I mean? And I'm, I mean, just, it was, it was unbelievable. And just like, I'm a young black kid from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm just trolling around Europe on the government's dime, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you were, but you were soaking up so much knowledge right yeah i mean i was i mean that's that's a four-year degree right there but i didn't know honestly i was just partying and having fun and i like to travel and so my like it was really interesting because it was a lot of guys in the military it's a hard life right being away from home and it's not the way that it is today with the internet so, I mean, like you, you lost all the creature comforts of home. There was like, we, I mean, I remember my mother and cousins like taping American TV on VCRs, right? Like for hours, like my cousin would just. Put, and sending you yes, And sending me videos of like BET and like the different TV shows because we didn't get them. I didn't you speak German. You couldn't get it. Yeah, I didn't speak German and you didn't get any of that stuff over there. And there was one what, uh, armed what forces happens? network one channel. So <laughs> what, what happens when the creature comforts are taken away? You, what is that like for, for the human spirit? What does that create? It's a really good time for that. I think being so young, especially for men, I'm not, I can't speak to for women, but I know for men mm. specifically, that age of like, you know, 17 to 20 something is a really key bonding time for male development and relationships. So you're there and you're no matter where you're from, right? And don't get me wrong, like there are very few institutions, more racist than United States military, but a lot of time, oh my God, it's incredibly racist. What? Oh my God. Yeah. Seriously? Oh well, you're also talking to a white woman. Wait. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, because think about it. You have a bunch of people that have never physically even seen a black person before right and the first yeah. time they're seeing them is in in person was in basic training so the only images that they have of black people is what they've seen on yeah. tv which has not been right. good right and especially no, hadn't no. been good leading up to the you know mid 90s right right yeah so i i remember i had like it was not uncommon to just walk down the hallway and it was a dorm and you see everyone had their door open like a dorm and you, m- n- so many Confederate flags, which I often found so ironic because I was stationed in Germany and there were old Nazi barracks. And so when we moved in there, there were still like, I mean, the Nazis branded every, there were still swastikas everywhere. And this was 1997. So there were still swastikas and there were a group of, there were a group of, uh, of airmen who had them, who complained and had them covered up, but then mocked us when, when I said, well, why, why, why can't you take down those Confederate flags too? It's the same thing. It is the exact yes, same thing, but there was not, I mean, my first Sergeant looked at me like, why would I have them take down the Confederate flag? Do you think that's what got you started into, um, like, diversity and inclusion and because part of your career is that oh yeah a big part of our career is that yeah um 
I I think well yeah I mean I've always been a uh, uh, a study of injustice I mean it just as a black man living in America it is I mean everyone in America is affected by racism whether they choose to recognize it or not whether you're black or white you are affected yeah. by racism and I think that I think one of the things that I've learned in my time is that we look at certain things with a black or white lens that we shouldn't. So we talk about, don't get me wrong, I love Black History Month, all 28 days of it, I celebrate it proudly. Yeah. However, yeah. when I was yeah. growing up, it was branded as Black history. And it sh- it's not Black history, it's history. It is American history. The Black experience is a part of America. It is not a separate yeah. subcategory. It is American history. And so that's to me in mentally, if you say this is something separate, then in your mind, it is only is super easy to then say the people that we're talking about for that subject are separate. So as a as a black man in this country, I've I've always been affected by racism. And so like even growing up with our modest beginnings, I was always in white spaces, right? Yeah. And so yeah. in meaning my entire life, I've felt like I've, a lot of times, most of my life, I've been the only um, black voice. Person of color yes, in the room. In the room. Yeah. And I've never, ever felt comfortable with that. Like, I've, that's never been comfortable. It's never it, because, you know, I mean, a lot of times I think and I think that people sometimes mean well, they just don't know. But in an attempt to make the only person of color or the, maybe you've experienced this as a woman, being the only woman in a room, in an attempt to make you feel comfortable, the only thing they really do is point out the fact that they only see you as black, right? As black. Correct. Yeah. And that's not good either, right? So, um, yeah, a lot of that. But yeah, when I was in the military, I remember one incident in particular where I got in trouble. Uh, a, a guy, I was in my room reading a book. Yeah. And it was a book by Henry Louis Gates, and it's called 13 Ways of Looking at a Black Man. And he interviews 13 different Black men, from Colin Powell to Chris Rock to Tiger Woods, about just their experiences being Black men in America, right? All of these very successful, uh, very highly lofted Black men. And so I was sitting down, and this yeah. guy from Indiana, um, walks into my room uninvited right I didn't say come in he did not he just walks into my room now this is one of the guys that had a confederate flag and he mm-hmm. you know and he says what's going on what are you doing so I'm just sitting here reading and I put the book down and he picks it up he says 13 ways of looking at a black man what's the 14th way hanging from a tree and I oh punched him in the face <laughs> I, I it was it, I mean I, I was 20 right so uh yeah and I think I would have too. Yeah. And, um, and subsequently just to kind of prove my point, I'm the one that got in trouble. Uh, you know, I had like extra month worth of duty or something like that, uh, because I hit him. Do you have any boys? I know you have three mm-hmm. children. Do you even, are any of them boys? Yes. My youngest, uh, is a boy. And he's do 11. You parent, he's 11. Mm-hmm. Do you parent him how do you, I mean, I know you parent every child, every, every parent parents a child differently, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I have, you know, I have some girlfriends who, especially during, um, you know, the protests a couple, a couple years ago, they were like, listen, I got to talk to my sons differently Mm -hmm. than I don't have kids. Then your friends talk to your white sons, Mm -hmm. to their white sons. How do you, how do you balance like, you know, not wanting to jade them, but also Mm -hmm. want to prepare them? Well, that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. I mean, it, it is hard. It's incredibly hard, but a couple things. Um, one, the biggest thing for me and is not even having that conversation. My grandfather taught me this because I, I had this conversation with him about like when my daughter was young and we got a one of those notifications that, uh, you know, a, a sex offender was moving into the neighborhood. And so yeah. I was like, wow, my daughter plays outside. There's certain things I need to talk to her about. And so I went to my grandfather and said, well, how do I do this? I really am not wanting to break her innocence, right? And he said, yeah, yeah. better you than someone else, right? And so um, I was like, well, okay, yeah, uh, <laughs> those are my options. <laughs> <laughs> Those oh my are my options. Oh my God. I guess I'll get on it. So, um, but then the second part of it, just as a man, and is it a proud, I am a proud black man, right? I was raised to be a proud black man. I'm very proud of who I am, my race, and all that that all that comes with that. And so, because just like I was raised like that, I want to raise my son like that too. And so yeah. the hardest part is having to tell having to raise a very strong and powerful black man that even if he is correct, right, that he will have to ingratiate himself to an officer just because I need him to come home alive. That's hard. That's, that's the hardest part. Cause how do you teach him that no matter what, he is a strong individual and that his voice is to be heard no matter what, right? except for if you get pulled over by the cops. Right. How do you teach that? But you do, right? Because my parents taught it to me. And it was, I mean, because their parents taught it to them because this is just a part of our existence, right? It's the talk. A, the most important thing is that you come home, right? Come home. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. I don't care how they provoke you. They will try to provoke you. You say nothing. And that's other part of why I fight so hard to do the things that I do. I'm not gonna say that, you know, I, you know I've been experienced, uh, I've had a really great career and I've, you know, I've got to meet some incredibly interesting people in this town. And, but the reason I do all of that, I swear, is not for me at all. Because if anyone knows me, like, I'm very gregarious, but I hate the spotlight. I do not like attention at all. That's why I don't do social yeah. media because what? Well, for what? I'm not that guy. I am a background kind of guy. However, the reason I go to the front, the reason I work so hard is because there may come a time that I may have to call someone because something may have happened to one of my kids from a police officer, right? And yeah. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to get on the news and tell people to calm down and all this other stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not because I've worked too hard. 
I, my mother worked too hard. My grandfather worked too hard, right? Like both of my grandparents, both of my grandfathers fought for this country in World War II, mm. exactly what they were asked to do. And when they came back, the only jobs available to them were uh, train porters, right? And shoe shining. That is a travesty. You know what I mean? And so, but they, I grew up very religious, right? You know, Baptists and all that. And one of my favorite scriptures is, um, is count it all joy, right? And say it again, count it all joy, meaning no matter what happens, bad, good, it all means joy, right? Because no matter what, happens in your life it all is a it's all made you who you were right so you ask me why am I not jaded because like while being physically abused sucked while being sexually abused was confusing and also tough and had a lot of struggles in my life without those I wouldn't be the person that I am today right and so I cannot allow those slights or those abuses to be in vain, right? So I have to allow myself to not be jaded by that because just like I was a young kid out there and I didn't have anybody to talk to about this, even though I love my grandfather, I couldn't talk to him about being sexually abused, not by a man, not by a woman, right? And so, um, especially when they were in your own family, right? And so, yeah. I mean, they breed you in secrecy, right? They tell you like this, keep the secret. And that's where you learn and you keep that uh, alive. And, you know, but the longer you keep that secret, the longer you're hiding there, you know, you carry the shame and the burdens of adults. Their shame. Yep. You carry their shame. You carry their uh, misgivings and their incorrections. And so you're like, all right. And so my, my live my life in a way so that, you know, people know that, even though those bad things can happen to you, like there is hope, you know, I was listening to one of your um, podcasts, uh, you had Kristen Shrimplin on and that yeah. she is, that she, I, I love her. And, but yeah. just even having my friendship with her and understanding like what it means to be a survivor and how powerful that is right and so i know what her story did for me i don't know if that'll happen for anybody else but i just want to know if there is another myron or another Kristen or anybody out there you know what i mean that is struggling it's a you know i mean it sucks but it's not your shame right and you can still go on and live a great life and while bad things do happen um you don't let it consume you. Don't become the thing that, you know, that was done to you, right? Never do that because for me, that those pains were so bad and so hurtful. Sarah, the thought of doing that to someone else, uh, it would kill me, it would kill me. So I would rather destroy myself than inflict pain on someone else, right? And for many years, that's what I was doing. I didn't know that, right? Oh Until I got into yeah. therapy and, you know, started unpacking a lot of this anger and resentment and, 
you know, because, you know, you just get in pain. The, yeah, it's pain, yeah. right? And pain has I, to have I an just, outlet. <laughs> yes, it does. I just, I love that counted all joy. Mm-hmm. And you, I mean, seriously, you are such a bright spirit. It's, it's so, it's magical. It's magical. Uh, I I want to keep talking, but know. we've got we I have know, we've gone talk, to our got... time. Hey, by the way, yeah. See how fast this went. Hey, wait. We do have to say one thing, sure. you all. You need to check out Myron's uh, business. It's a startup. It's called yes. Lurch. Do yes. you want to explain it? Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's a mobile ordering app, and so just think um, all the best things that you want to do. If you're you're tired of waiting when you go to a place, like you go to a concert, you go to a festival, you went there to enjoy that not stand in line for nachos or a beer or the bathroom so what lurch does is it takes the waiting out of it so you don't have to wait for a beer you can order your beer right from your phone pay for it go and pick it up it'll tell you where the bathroom is it'll tell you how long the wait is in the bathroom and so it's really just no way yeah i didn't know that part of it yeah yeah that wasn't <gasps> available when uh when you saw it but yeah we've added that Gosh. yeah and so it's kind of like it's got everything it's got the with the best things from Starbucks, the best things from Waze. You know, you can order your food and beverage, and so it's built on a system so that it it kind of keeps track of all of your favorite places and your favorite things. And so um, it's it's really kind of right now. I mean, at the heart of the right now economy. So we're really excited. We've been getting some really good traction. Uh, I love you. You are so awesome. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. <laughs>